the practice I'm talking about is the practice, is the discipline, is the exercise of confrontation. Confrontation is this uh, terribly intimidating thing. It's this, this practice and this exercise that, uh, that happens in the church, or at least it should happen in the church, and yet uh, it's scary, isn't it? I mean, if you're anything like me, uh, you're not looking for confrontation. Not only are you not looking for confrontation, you don't want anybody to confront you. And so for the giver and the receiver, uh, we, we would just rather move on without the exercise, without the discipline, without the task of confrontation. Let's skip that sermon, okay? And yet... It seems that this very task has the great power of both healing and destruction. It it seems that this task throughout Scripture is present for those who would say, I am among God's people. And if we are here this morning of one mind in Whiting Christian Church to say, I desire to help people find and follow Jesus. I want to help people be a part of what it means to build Christ-like community. Then confrontation has to be a part of who we are as a church. You see, if we're establishing the parameters for the community outside of these walls, uh, then confrontation is a part of our DNA. And for those who are willing this morning, I'm going to ask you to be courageous. I'm going to ask you to leave cowardice behind you I'm going to ask you to pick up your courage. And if God is tapping you on the shoulder to walk wisely into confrontation. This morning, I want to change your perspective about what confrontation is and what it does and how we go about doing it. Because in its best form, confrontation is caring. Confrontation is is not a blast of hatred. Instead, confrontation, when it's done right, confrontation is short-term pain for long-term gain. That this practice, this exercise, this task, this discipline of the church being the church uh, so that they get to define the parameters uh, for what the community ought to look like is perhaps the most caring thing that we can do for one another. Now, the kind of confrontation I'm talking about is the kind that is displayed most throughout Scripture. Most of the time throughout Scripture when there is confrontation, it doesn't happen between God and all the other bad people in the world. 
Most times when confrontation comes up in Scripture, the confrontation is between God and His people. Most of the time when confrontation happens throughout the Bible, it is It is God saying uh, to one of His people, hey, I need you to help confront some other of my people. The kind of confrontation that we're talking about is the kind of confrontation that happens in rooms like this, Uh, not not between this room and, and those people out there, those bad people. No, the confrontation that most often occurs in the Bible is between two people who have said uh, of their God, I'm obedient to you. I'm going to follow you. And so those who have said, who have, have signed on the dotted line, uh, who, who, have, who have engaged their life to say, I want to follow Jesus. The kind of confrontation we're talking about is between those two kinds of people who have said, I've desired followership of Jesus. Paul talks about it a little bit. I I know we're not going to spend time here this morning, but just to give you a a taste of of the sort of confrontation that we're talking about this morning in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul talks about this sort of of confrontation. He's dealing with the church here uh, that that needs confronted, but he says uh, the confrontation that they need is, is inward and not outward. He says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swinders or, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister who does those things. You see, the sort of confrontation that we have to engage in this morning, uh, that we have to be courageous enough to pick up, is the sort of confrontation that happens between individuals in relationship with Jesus whose life for one reason or another is not living up to a demonstration of the parameters that God and His Word has established. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're anything like me, it's scary, but necessary. You see, there's a guy in the Bible, and his name is Nathan, and God taps him on the shoulder. And he says, I want you to go and confront someone. I don't want you just to go to confront anybody. I want you to go and confront a king. And so Nathan, the friend of David, must knock on David's door and confront him about his own sin. This morning, I want you to know about confrontation. I'm going to ask and answer these next several questions. When is it that I should confront? 
How is it that I should confront? And why? Why in the world should I risk the danger of confronting? Why should I step out in the discomfort of confrontation? Why? When? What's the timetable? How? What's the means? What's the, the matter of how I go about this thing? And what reason do I want to do it? What's the motivation? So if you're interested in the answer to some of those questions, would you get into the Bible with me this morning? Reach out and grab a Bible, and we're going to be again in 2 Samuel, again in chapter 12. Looking at Nathan's confrontation of David. Second Samuel chapter 12. We learned last week that David had fallen into sin. He had been tempted and acted. Uh, by the time that we get to this particular chapter of the Bible, we recognize that David uh, looked out. He saw a beautiful woman. He slept with her. Uh, he tried to hide it. He had her, her husband killed. Uh, he, he had more than just her husband killed because there were other soldiers that were with him that were also killed. And he continues to try and hide it. He takes her home to be his wife. He thinks everything is good up until this very moment. Look what it says in verse 1. When is it that we should confront? Verse 1, chapter 12. The Lord sent David, the, the Lord sent Nathan to David. I'm going to stop there. Uh, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When is it that you confront someone because of their own sin? When is it that you confront someone who is in the Christian community who's not living to the parameters that God has set in His Word? Maybe they're sleeping with their girlfriend, or maybe they're extorting money, or maybe they're being greedy, or maybe they're being overly prideful, or maybe they're just being mean to their spouse. When is it that you decide that uh, it's your responsibility? When is it that you decide that you need to, to do something when God says so? I wish there were really another answer to that. But, but you don't go just because you have something inside of you. Uh, let me be very clear, if you go on your own strength without God being present with you, uh, the, the turnout for this whole confrontation is not going to go well. Nathan goes uh, not because he has a spur, uh, not because he has a score to settle with David, he goes because God said to go. So before you go and confront anybody about anything uh, that's that's 
that's something that they may need to improve on, I can guarantee that you need to go with a sense of great prayer and you need to go with a great sense of God's confidence and you need to be very clear about what God is saying in His Word before you launch off to confront somebody else. Nathan goes because God told him to go. Do you know how long it had been? It kind of struck me as I was working through this story that God doesn't send Nathan right after the act, does he? Uh, David has committed adultery. Uh, Bathsheba goes back to her home and Nathan doesn't show up. God in that moment doesn't say, Nathan, now's the time. Go knock on David's door. Nope, doesn't happen then. A month goes by at least. Uh, Bathsheba uh, sends the messenger back to David. Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. Nope, Nathan doesn't show up then. Not with the news of the pregnancy. That doesn't happen. Uriah comes back and forth. David covers up the whole thing by having him killed. Uh, and you would think, oh, now's the time. Now's the time when God is going to send Nathan. Uh, that's when it should all happen because uh, David deserves it. Doesn't happen then either, does it? Oh, surely it's going to happen before this baby is born. Nope, doesn't happen then either. Uh, the text tells us uh, right in the very last chapter, the very last part of chapter 11, it doesn't even happen then. The baby is born. Uh, some scholars say it's well over a year. From the time that David has committed adultery to the time that Nathan finally goes and knocks on David's door. There may be occasions. There may be occasions like a Peter and a Paul where it becomes so apparent that God is present uh, that there is a, a public acclamation to say, you got this wrong, man. And there may be other times in the wisdom and the guidance of the Lord that God wants them to think about it for a while. You read Psalm 32. You begin to read that psalm, and it seems like in the process of this year, David knows exactly what he's done. David knows the kind of guilt that is churning within inside of him. And the guilt is rising to the top, almost like someone who's trying to churn so that the cream will come to the top. And this sin is just absolutely eating away at the very core of who David is. And God is doing something in David long before Nathan ever shows up. So before you confront... Before you take your Bible as if it were from a gun holster and show them who's boss, may I encourage you that if the time is not from God, if God is not sending you, if there is not a clear word from the Lord, can I encourage you to wait 
Can I encourage you to wait until there's a sense from the Lord that now is the time, uh, that there is a, a considerable amount of time that God has given you? And, and perhaps it is that God will tell you uh, that there will be a, a sense of clarity. And I, I wish I could give you, oh, well, uh, you know, three days and then three nights and it's all good and now you go. But I can't. The, the scriptures don't give us that. So all I can say is, would you be in prayer? Would you be listening carefully? Would you be, be reading through the scriptures that the Lord himself would give you a sense of peace and confidence, and then you'll know that the time has come. Nathan goes to David because God sends him, not because Nathan just has A score to settle with David. So when do you do this? When do you do this super scary thing? You do it when God says so. Now some of you are out there thinking, yeah, but I'm not a prophet, Mike. What qualifies me to be able uh, to go when it's time to go? And can I tell you something? That not a single one of us in this room on our own are qualified uh, to be able to go and confront someone else. No, uh, your quality doesn't come in who you are. It comes in who you are because of Jesus. Your quality, you are qualified because uh, you have seen and clearly understood what God is saying in His Word. You're not qualified because you're you. You're qualified in your identity in Jesus. That's what qualifies you. Part of what makes confrontation so scary is the fact that when I go, I know that I'm going to have to face my own sin and not go in hypocrisy. So you go. You go when God says you go. And if you have prayed and you have a clear word from the Lord, then you go. And when you do, how, how do you do that? I mean, how do you go about confronting someone? When you knock on that door and your heart is pounding through your chest uh, because of the fear that you... You, you wonder what's going to happen with this whole thing. You wonder if there's going to be a loss of a relationship. Uh, God uh, has laid it on your heart. He's made it clear that you need to go. He's made it clear that you need to confront. So how do you do that? And how do you do it with the right heart and the right mind? Well, it's helpful when you know that God has sent you. Because if God has sent you, you know that he's going with you. In Matthew 18, Jesus makes this very clear. He's talking about caring for the, the kind of brother uh, and sister in Christ who has wandered away. And he says of those, uh, those, those people who have gathered themselves around to say, I want to be obedient to Jesus. I want to be obedient to God. He says, if they wander away, I want you to care for them uh, by going and confronting them. But he says, when you do that, I go with you. I'm going to go with you. So you can be sure that if God has given you the opportunity, He's going to go with you. You don't go by yourself. So you go with the right heart and the right mind. 
If you're going to confront someone, here's my prayer for you. I pray that you go with fear and trembling. I pray that you go and there's no sense of you that is enjoying this experience. I hope that you're going not to say, oh, I'm really going to get you now. Because if you go there, if you go with the sense of I'm going to knock you out with what God has to say, then you haven't understood what God's grace has already done for you. Do you notice how Nathan goes to David? You see, we've gotten a clear picture earlier on in this story that that David and Nathan, they're friends. God sends Nathan not just because he's a prophet. God sends Nathan because, well, Nathan has already earned the right and relationship with David. How is it that you go? I think you go because you have earned the right to be heard. You have a relationship with whoever it is that you're going to confront. And when God says you go, you think, how is it that I can most clearly define how to help them see themselves? How is it that I can put a mirror in front of their eyes so that they can see the sort of thing that God is asking them to do? Do you notice how Nathan frames this whole thing? God sends Nathan, and notice what comes next. It's still there in verse 1. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town. And there was one rich, and the other was poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb that he had bought. And he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food, and drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And do you think this sheep had a name? I don't know what the name might have been. I mean, it's probably a very beautiful name. I'll let you guess. But can you... It was the family pet, everybody. I mean, everybody loved this little lamb. You got up in the morning, oh, how are you today? Oh, don't, don't even try and hide it. I've seen some of you with all your animals. You're like, come here. Nathan establishes the picture for David. Why? Why is he talking about sheep? Because David was a shepherd. David had known his favorite sheep, hadn't he? He had named a few of them. I mean, he knew that some of them were going to go to sacrifice, so he didn't name those. But there were a couple that he had seen born, uh, that he had uh, maybe nursed back to life early on, and he was like, oh, Gumira, you could sleep with me tonight. You just roll up there on the end of my bed. And Nathan comes in with David, and David is completely enthralled. He is completely in the story because David had been there. Now, verse 4. A traveler came to the now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, 
He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lambs four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And it was at that moment, it was at that very moment in this very unique way that Nathan was able to show David the mirror. It was at that moment that he pulled the rug from underneath of David and he said, you're the man. You're the one. How is it that you go about confronting You need to know something about the one that you're going to confront. Nathan knew David. And I don't know how long it was between uh, when God told Nathan to go and when Nathan actually went. I don't know if God had given him this this little story, uh, but... But this story is churning on the inside of Nathan as he goes to confront David and he's able to show him himself. If you have a friend, if you have a fellow Christian who is stuck in a sin and you love them and you want to care for them, you knock on their door and you lovingly confront them in a way that helps them see themselves. One of the dangers of confrontation. One of the dangers in confrontation is is instead of coming because we have been sent by God and instead of coming lovingly uh, because we, we know that there's a word that needs to be heard. Instead of trying to show lovingly a mirror for someone else, instead of gently trying to wrap our arms around them and and confront them with some level of behavior that's outside of the parameters that God has designed for them, sometimes the danger is that we just simply go on ourselves and we've created a standard for ourselves. Nathan doesn't go in a standard of himself. He goes with the standard of the Lord. And he loves David even though he's his friend. He loves him in confrontation. Do you hear that? Nathan confronts David not because he hates David, but because he cares for him. He loves David enough to confront him. And perhaps there's someone that you're thinking about this morning. Perhaps there's someone that you're thinking about that the Lord has has just laid on your heart. Maybe it's been a long time and you've been seeking a word of clarity. How is it that I go about this? Perhaps, Perhaps there's a parable. Perhaps there's a story. Perhaps there's something that you know about this person that will reach into their soul that you can show a mirror And lovingly say, do you see this? Because you're this person. 
When do you do it? You do it when God says. How do you do it? You do it with as much fear and trembling as you possibly can muster. You do it with a bunch of prayer. And you do it lovingly to someone with whom you know. But why? I mean, that's really, uh, that's the bottom line, right? That's where we really all want to get to. Why would I go about leaving the comfort of non-confrontation for the discomfort of confrontation? Why would I do this? Because it has the power to restore, that's why. You see, you never confront because you want to be angry with someone. You never confront so that they know how you feel. This isn't about you. This is about God. Why do you confront? Because confrontation often has the power to change someone's life. That's why you confront. You confront because it has the opportunity for them to recognize where they are with God and for them to come to some level of forgiveness. In verse 7, Nathan says to David, you are the man. That's what the God of Israel says. And he he goes on and he begins to say, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? But the payoff is verse 13. David saying, I have sinned. I, I have sinned against the Lord. Why do you confront Why is confrontation caring? Because confrontation can lead to forgiveness. In James chapter 5, it's it's absolutely clear. Uh, James, right at the very end of the book, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, our world would have us believe that confrontation is judgment. Our world would have us believe that you don't have the right to judge me. And if you've ever been in a position of confrontation, you've probably heard the words, well, you can't judge me. And our world has gotten really good at saying, well, that's just okay for you. I'll believe what I'll believe. You believe what you'll believe, and we'll all just get along fine. That's a lie. You see, what is happening in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and what's happening in James, and what's happening in 1 Corinthians, and hopefully what will happen in Whiting, and Whiting Christian Church, and in our community is that we will begin to lovingly confront so that lives will actually be changed because if we confront nothing, everything's okay. Everything's acceptable. And no one need really to live like Jesus because there's no need. Verse 13 
You see, I think there's something in confrontation that is saying, maybe this is a level of judgment, but it's not judgment big J. It's judgment small J. You see, Bryce, in his communion meditation, I thought it was so fitting. He said, hey, uh, there is a final experience. There is a, 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 a final accounting that you're going to have to be accountable. There is something coming for everybody. That's judgment big J. And confronting is judgment small J. And what we're trying to do is not hate people. We're trying to save them for the day when judgment big J is coming. Why do you do this? Because those who will listen to the confrontation may experience forgiveness, may experience a changed life, may know that on that final day of accountability, judgment's already been passed. And they're safe. This last week, I had a student in my office. There was a couple of us, and we were working with this particular student. And it was clear that they needed some healing. There was some bitterness kind of spiraling in some ways out of control in this particular student. And we gathered around this particular student. And we said, hey, this is what we think that you need to do. And, and in some ways, it was very confrontational. We were saying, I know that you desire your life to go in this direction. But we think that it needs to go in another direction. And if you will trust us that we have more experience than you, that we love you, would you, would you be willing to trust us? The next morning, I go to my email, and I'm, I pull it up on the computer, and there was this long email, like five pages long. And it was just a reaction to the confrontation. Can't believe this. No, God wants me to go this way, you know. Thanks so much, but, but no thanks. And that just sat in me all week. I thought, oh, what are we going to do? And how are we going to respond now? And yesterday afternoon, I feel a little buzz in my pocket. And I look down at my cell phone. And it's this particular student. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, honestly, I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to read this. So later on, I, I open it up and I begin to read. It's amazing what God will do with a loving confrontation when you feel a sense of confidence that God has set you in a place to confront somebody. The email, I'll spare you all the details, but the email basically said, you know what? I need more healing in my life, and I think what God is trying to tell me right now is that I need to trust him more. 
And so I'm going to do exactly what you're asking. Can we meet this week so that we can figure out all the details? Church, I know. I know how desperate some of you are to get out of any sort of confrontation. I know how intimidating it is to be both the confronter and the confronted. I know that some of you sitting right here are shaking in your boots and just can't wait for the final song so you can get out of here and stop thinking about any level of confrontation whatsoever. But can I tell you that if we are to be a church that's showing the rest of our community what community really looks like, if we're going to establish the parameters for the sort of lives that are going to be lived in our community, then confrontation is a must. And that confrontation isn't bad. That confrontation is caring. And so church, I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to plead with you. Would you grab a mantle of courage? Would you grab that scepter of courage that God is giving to you? Not on your own, but through His Word and through prayer. Uh, Would you grab that and lovingly wrap your arms around people? Again, not for a standard that's your own but a standard that's the Lord's and lovingly confront so that God can do his great work of change. Because if we don't, if we don't, then Satan gets to define the parameters for all of our lives, doesn't he? Then we give up on truth That's God's for the sake of our own comfort. So I'm asking you to be courageous. I'm asking you to be bold in a way that maybe you've never been. And that you will find yourself in prayer and in scripture. And that you will see God change people because you were willing to do something scary. You can walk away saying, you know what? I have a pretty clear conscience. No matter what the the end is, I have a a clear conscience of everything that's going to happen because I was obeying the Lord. If you're someone who thinks that you're going to be confronted, maybe you just need to repent right now. need to say, okay, all right, I'm hearing you, God. Now's the time. If you're someone that knows that you're going to be someone that that has to confront someone else, I want to pray for you. Will you stand with me as we pray? Lord God, um, I pray that you are moving with the words of your, of your word. 
Lord, I pray that this isn't just some guy on a stage just talking for a half an hour. I pray, Lord, that you're moving in, in lives and you're changing us even as we, as we hear your word. Lord, both for the confronter and the confronted, Lord, I, I pray that you would fill us with courage to respond in a way that would allow you to change us. And Lord, I pray that we would stand firmly in your truth and in your word. And we wouldn't be afraid of whatever the results might be, Lord, that we would just simply be what you need us to be. Lord, would you be with us? I pray for the person that has maybe been thinking about the need to confront for a while. And Lord, I just pray for them that you will give them courage, give them the words to say, give them the manner in which to say them. I pray, Lord, that when they go, they have a confidence of being with you so that the other person might be restored. Restore us, Lord. Restore us. And Lord, change our community because we are establishing you, your community, by being people who love enough to confront. Lord, we love you. Got us to a, a level of growth that maybe we've not known. Be with us in this way, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.